Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Chat, Good News and Politics with Julian Hoes. My name is Julian Hoes, Managing Director of Vocal Europe, and I'm here to answer all of your questions on politics and what's going on in the world at the moment. So to start with, it's 11 degrees in Amsterdam, 12 degrees in Paris, 12 degrees in Brussels, 12 degrees in London, and 22 degrees in Bucharest, while the rest of us are ducking for cover from the rain. It is nice and sunny in Romania. Now, plenty of good news today. So, first of all, happy May Day, joyeux fête du travail, bon premier mai. Just enjoy today. It was supposed to be a day off for most of us. Unfortunately, we're having days off most of the time, but just try to enjoy this. Take solace in what we can and enjoy the small things. In Montpellier in France, there is a 104-year-old woman called Vivette who recovered from coronavirus. One of the antiviral drugs being used in trials has been shown to speed up recovery from coronavirus. South Korea has now said that its reinfections were actually false positives in its testing and Vaccine manufacturers have said that we should know in June or July if the vaccines being tested will work. We're also past the peak, we're closer to opening our doors and going back to the outside world and being a bit more human, and this is good news. Let's take the positives where we can, let's try and remember that this isn't going to be like this all the time, that we're going to be able to get out of our homes, we're going to be able to see our loved ones and friends again, and good news is on the horizon. Now, I have two questions today, one focusing on corona bonds and the fight happening between Northern and Southern Europe, as well as the, a question on vaccine scepticism, particularly why the uptake in this ideology is so high in France. The corona bonds issue, I'm going to make a larger video on this, detailing the, the actual history behind this, including what was going down during 2008, but for now, I've covered this a bit and previously, and I'm not going to bore you too much of the history in this episode, but to put it into perspective, there is a fight that goes on every once in a while in the European Union, where you have fiscal hawks, who are the member states who believe that there should be more control and more, let's say, conservative use of funding at the European level, and that member states should not have their their debt tied in with other states that shouldn't be held responsible for the debts of other states. And then you have the fiscal doves, who are the ones who more often than not are supporting further integration in regards to European economic matters, particularly through the use of euro bonds, or in this case, corona bonds, which are the the issuance of debt that is tied in with all member states that are part of the eurozone. Now, the big fight in this tends to happen between countries such as Germany, Austria, the Netherlands, and in some cases Sweden and Finland, who practice a high level of financial discipline and don't want to have their, their economies tied in with southern European economies, partially through a sort of stereotyping of southern European economies such as Spain, Portugal, Italy and Greece, as being irresponsible and not properly financially adequate. And this fight is against these countries primarily, Spain, Italy, Greece, but also some countries such as France who want to push forward European integration and 
strengthen the ability of all member states to handle crises and economic shocks, and who want to see a an increase in the, we'll say, equality of all the European economies. Now, at the moment, this is taking the form of the fight regarding corona bonds, but also the European Union's response to the coronavirus through the the funding that is going to be made available in the aftermath of this part of the multi-annual financial framework that is going to take place over the next six or seven years and that is going to manage the economy on the European level. Now, a part of this response that is going to be put together and that is being proposed is to provide a part of the funding for European member states, particularly those hardest hit by the coronavirus, in the form of grants. Now, these would not be paid back by the state, but would be used primarily to strengthen the European member states, such as Italy and Spain, who have been hit by far the hardest in the EU, and allow them to have a, let's say, a softer landing by having less debt to pay back to debtors, the European Union, and to avoid some of the pitfalls that have been learned and that were observed through the European sovereign debt crisis, particularly in states such as Italy, which struggled to recover, Spain, which struggled to recover, and Greece, which definitely suffered quite a lot from austerity measures intended to repay the debt. Now, the, there are two schools of thought to this kind of idea. I, I sympathize in some ways with both of them. So a lot of it is, you know, there are states such as Italy who do struggle quite a bit with this kind of crisis. And there are perceptions that they don't do enough to enact reforms, to strengthen their economies and strengthen their abilities to actually respond to the issues at hand. In some ways, this is true. In Italy, they do struggle with reforms due to the political climate there. And it's been made worse by the way in which a populist such as Matteo Salvini has driven anti-institutional, anti-EU, anti-Euro propaganda in order to strengthen his hand in domestic politics and the way in which this plays out in attempts to reform the Italian economy and the way the Italian economy works because of the way people perceive the euro, people perceive the EU and people perceive themselves as being treated as a lesser partner despite the fact that they are one of the strongest economies in Europe. Again, there is also the the side of the... Um, of those who believe that the EU should provide more help and that European member states should provide more solidarity for their brothers and sisters across the member states. I tend to fall into this camp, primarily because I am, let's be honest, I am a Eurofederalist. I'm, despite my liberalism, I believe that we should be supporting each other a lot more than we currently do. And this is, there are arguments for this, such as the fact that Italy, being the first to be hit and being hit so severely, provided a sort of knowledge transfer to all the other member states who learned from its reactions and learned from its behaviours, which enabled them to avoid the worst of the worst. Now, a lot of countries didn't come too far behind Italy in terms of the damage caused by the coronavirus regarding deaths, but the, the argument does hold, does make sense, in my opinion. There is a reason why we 
all of our member states have come together so well that they've improved their economies so well that they've done so much better than they would have if they weren't part of the euro if they weren't part of the eu and this needs to continue and we need to keep building this up and keep strengthening each other and supporting one another we can't have a european union where some member states are being left to their own devices and have to just deal with it that's unconscionable that's unfair and it's just in my opinion un-european now there are also the arguments of how do we pay for everything after the, the UK has left. This is something that I'm going to cover in a larger video that will be going directly onto my YouTube channel. But for now, there are ways for the European member states to actually cover the costs for the coronavirus even without the UK being a member state. As the UK is still paying into budgets and the the loss of the UK isn't as cataclysmic as people think. But that's a topic for another video. We'll have to wait and see how that happens. The next question that I had was based on vaccine skepticism and why uptake is very high of this ideology in France. Now, this is a complicated question and this relies on a, a variety of, of points of impact of effects across the board but we can sort of distill this into a few points here and there but to begin with let's start with the fact that France is France was seen to be or was found to be more skeptical of vaccines as well as the economic value of science related to vaccines and science in general than 140 other countries in a global survey now a few figures here 33 percent of French people disagree with the idea that vaccines are safe, 19% disagree that they are effective, and 10% disagree that vaccines are important for children. Now this is huge. I mean, let's be entirely honest, a third of the country has been convinced that vaccines are unsafe for themselves, their children, their loved ones and their families. This will lead to an effect where these people are going to avoid taking the precautions they need to make sure that they're able to su survive certain cases that and illnesses that are easily preventable. This is the kind of behavior that's leading to an increase in smallpox vaccines, which was eradicated, well, smallpox infections, which was eradicated in the world. It wasn't an issue until a few years back. And this means that children are going to schools unvaccinated, putting other children at risk and putting other people at risk. Now, uh, historian Laurent-Henri Vignot, who was the author of Anti-Vax, which is a history of anti-vaccine sentiment in France, said outright that there was no structural reason that it was higher in France than in neighboring countries. Now, this is really interesting because this points to a deep malaise in French society and French culture. And in his view, this is primarily fueled by distrusts in politicians and institutions and politics in France, as well as an increase in state-centered criticisms and the way they behave. There was a, a point in history where, so in the early 2000s, 90% of French citizens supported vaccines and saw them as a beneficial thing. But this changed in 2009 with the French government's smallpox 
reaction where they ordered huge quantities of the vaccine to come by the swine flu. And this came at a time when there was criticism was being levied at the government. Left, right and centre governments were being criticised for buying so many, so many vaccines to the detriment of, and in some cases the criticism was related to detriments of other countries. The, the idea was that the government was pl placing its financial interests first, so particularly with the way that certain ministers were behaving and certain actors in government were behaving and pushing this as hard as they could. This was also hurt by the fact that a lot of these vaccines went unused, as the swine flu epidemic ended up not being as bad as people thought it would be or feared it would be, and so this was seen as a large overreaction by the French government. And the perception was that there was just too much money was being spent on something that wasn't necessary. And there is also a link with populism. There is a link with the fact that these actors were using this, that this was a sign of government excess in France, that this was a, a clear indicator that there were too many financial interests in French governments, that the people weren't being represented and protected, that financial organisations were taking control of French governments, and that globalism had gone wild. Not only were criticisms being leveled, levied on globalisation and how it caused the swine flu epidemic, as it's being done now with the coronavirus, but the way this impacted the government's responses. And you can almost track the way that this has developed throughout French governing history in recent times, with the rise of the far right, with the rise of populism, and the way in which populists such as Le Pen have questioned the safety of vaccines in debates, in public policy forums, and that have been broadcast across France. There's also the effect of social media, how social media is affecting the way that these anti-vaxxers are spreading their, their message. I mean, you see this in the way that people believe that the earth is flat. A lot of people who don't have the, the right information are spreading their information, and this is affecting the way that other people are perceiving things that should be a given in society nowadays. There's also the effect of troll farms, such as the Russian Internet Research Agency, which has been found to be leading a multi-year campaign to spread anti-vax information, to weaken democracy in other states, and to weaken the way the, the cohesion in other states overall. However, we can go very deep into this topic. We can go very deep into why this is happening across states. We're seeing a complete erosion of state trust in countries such as the US which were considered to be safe but that's just how it is nowadays I'm afraid this is what we're fighting against and this is partially why I'm doing these videos we need to start giving truthful information we need to start answering people's questions honestly we need to combat disinformation and fake news however guys those are the two questions for today thank you very much for tuning in as always, I appreciate all of your support and I appreciate all of your feedback. If you have any questions you want answered, send them to me. You can message me during these telescope or periscope, sorry, uh, broadcasts. You can message me on YouTube through the comment section. You can message me on Twitter and Facebook.
you can find me through Instagram. Guys, do not hesitate to get in touch. I'm doing this to spread information, to spread the correct terms, and to make sure that people are getting the information that they need. So once again, thank you very much, guys. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, and please enjoy this May Day. I hope that you guys have a, a good day. I hope that you guys have a good weekend, and I will be back on Monday with a new episode. Have a nice weekend, take care, and look after yourselves.